Disclaimer. The content in these podcasts are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have learned from these podcasts. This is Marcia Stonehill with Melt the Ice. Today I have with me Dominique Nichelle. Uh, I've had the pleasure of being able to sit and talk with Dominique over a cup of coffee about a month or so ago, and she shared so so many things with me that I felt like would be really important for many people to hear. Uh, She brings a wealth of knowledge and experience because of traveling and being a biracial woman and being in the art industry. So, Dominique, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having uh, me. I appreciate being here. Yes. So, um, you had a lot to say just about uh, your experiences in life. So, Mm -hmm. can you just start, start us off here? Maybe start with... Uh, what decade you were born in? I was born in 1991. I'm okay. a 90s baby. Okay. Um, so I was born in 91, uh, which makes me 29 now. So I definitely have had a kind of broad experience from, you know, growing up as a child from two different, two different, well, extremely different cultures. Um, my mother being from Scotland, she's from Glasgow. All of her side of the family live there, um, and my father's from Little Rock, Arkansas, um, and his side are all African American. Um, so it was kind of it was interesting growing up being from both sides, um, and then also just the distance of it being on two different continents. So I got to travel a lot. Okay. Um, when I was ten, I got to go actually move over to Scotland, having grown up and gone to elementary school in Virginia in Spotsylvania County. Um, I, it was kind of like a, it was a big, what's the word to say? Uprooting was a little bit interesting at that age, but I was very close with my mom. Um, my father was military, so he was away a lot anyway. So I was kind of just used to being my mom having her own little thing. Um, so I was very much immersed into my Scottish side of my culture. Very, very young. Um, I did Scottish Highland dancing from, you know, age five years old. I did my first dance competition at six years old. So my mom always had me, in Fredericksburg, always had me very much involved with the Scottish community. Um, I would have, you know, I have friends now actually that have just moved back to the neighborhood that are from this area from when I grew up that did Scottish Highland dancing with me that I've not seen in years and their family are Scottish. So I still have that connection with Scottish people in Fredericksburg actually, funnily enough. there's actually a Scottish tea house down, down Fredericksburg. Okay. I don't know if you've ever nice. been there. Highly recommend it. She's okay. a Scottish woman who owns it, and I've talked to her, and she's actually from the same place my mother's from. So if, you ever, if you're ever there, head down to the tea rooms. But anyway, so I, I got the chance to move from Virginia to Scotland um, pretty young, and that was a really, really big culture shock for me. Um, not only just geographically, but also just with social class, um, where I was living, um, going from kind of, you know, the suburbs, middle class suburbs of Virginia to, um, you know, where I was, is I was kind of in a very rough neighborhood in Scotland. Um, 
my family on that side actually are kind of from a rougher kind of area in general. So like just their whole outlook is just totally, just totally different from like American Southern families and how okay. they are. It's just totally, totally different cultures. When I went there, it was funny. Everyone would call me Yank. Like that was supposed to be like a derogatory thing. Like instead of like, I never really got a lot of racism towards me when I moved there, but they would kind of joke and call me like Yankee which was supposed to be derogatory, but it wasn't really derogatory. But I thought that that was always really funny to me because there was worse things that you could call me and I knew there was worse things that I could be called, but I never got, I never really got uh, extreme racism in Scotland, which was really, really nice. Um, But no one looked like me. So that was interesting um, going from, you know, I mean, I was in a predominantly white area in Spotsylvania, but still, of course, there was still people of color. There's black people that live here. There's Spanish people. There's Latinos. There's just different kinds of people. And there it was just all white people with maybe like a few, like an Indian person peppered in or like, you know, Pakistani person peppered in. There would be like the three of us would be like me and like a Pakistani kid. And we would be like the most similar, you know, people would tell me that we would look alike or that we looked similar. And that was interesting as a kid coming from... America and then kind of being confused for what I am okay or mistakenly identified or questioned about it constantly was was something that I kind of had to face when I moved over there too I wasn't as used to it well and now we would call that a microaggression right and mm. what um, are your thoughts on that it depends who it's coming from I think here and, and when I get asked where what I'm mixed with like off the first question in the United States I feel like it's more microaggression here. I feel like over there it's more just curiosity because they're more just like, I've never seen anyone that even looks like you before because I mean, they, they really haven't. So it was more, less, I didn't feel like it was, yeah, I didn't feel like it was, there was microaggressions on their end. I do feel like when I've experienced it here, yeah, for sure. And other places, but not so much there. Right. It, did, it did seem just genuine, like more seemed like genuine fascination and curiosity mm-hmm. more than anything else. And what's the vibe you get from people here? Um, it depends where you live. Because uh, I lived in New York for six years. I just moved down from New York. Um, and that was a little bit more of like covert, a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like you couldn't really, like it was like a little more under, like the undertones. And it wouldn't ever be directly to me. It would be more like people would say well you're not they would they would say maybe something racist or prejudiced against a black person like that maybe we worked like say in a job situation right um and they would say something about that and would be definitely racially charged um and i would say well hey actually you know xyz why do you actually think like that because did you know blah 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 your statement's actually not fully accurate and it's a little bit you know seems it seems coming from the wrong place. So either explain it to me so I can understand where you're coming from or let me just correct you real fast. And they would say, but why are you getting upset? You're not black, you're British. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. But it would be because I came straight from the UK and at this point I had like a little bit of an accent. They didn't see me as a biracial person, a black person. They just saw me as British. And it was, that was interesting in itself to me because it was like, you're, you know, you're so well-spoken and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, British people are posh and they, they thought that I was really well-to-do. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like, that's not at all what I, you know, where I come from. It was just very fascinating to me that, you know, that there was that assumption that. Well, and all of that is microaggression yeah. and implicit bias. For sure. For know, sure. Because for sure. that's very, very stereotyping mm-hmm. of a black person mm-hmm. that as if. A black person doesn't have sophistication for sure and which of course angered me and so I would ha- I had more experiences with that with microaggressions here 
mm-hmm. than I did over in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Per- me personally, however, mm-hmm. but that's also like I'm aware of. It's going to be a little bit approached differently to me because my complexion. I'm lighter. Um, people don't really know what I am. People don't know right away. If, depending on my hair, if it's curly, if my hair is blown out straight, if I have braids, I could be like people will think I'm Latino. People will ask if I'm Filipino. People will ask if I'm everything but you know what I actually am. So it just depends. It mm-hmm. just depends who's asking. It depends whether like. It's a hard question to answer. People ask for a multitude of different reasons. Right. A lot of times people ask because they're trying to identify themselves with me. Like a lot of times Latinos, like when I was in New York, a lot of Dominicans would always assume I was Dominican. And I would say, well, why do you think that? And they're like, well, you look very Dominican. And I'm like, okay, but I'm half black, half white. A lot of Latinos have, you know, um, there's colorism problems within the community. And, you know, they have the mentality, you know, it's kind of from colonization. You know, the darker that you are, like the kind of, you don't want to be, like the lower you are on the social scale. So a lot of of Latinos who are darker don't want to actually associate as being black. So when they ask me, um, you know, are you sure you're not Latino? I'm like, no, I'm black and white. But, you know, a lot of you guys are just, you know, Spaniard and African. So you are, in essence, black and white, too, even though you speak a different language. It's 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 fascinating and I always I always just try to like get get little get little points in there to educate a little bit here and there because it's just coming from like ignorance but it it just depends who's asking me how I approach it how I respond sure you know one of the things that you're bringing out here is just even the the differences of the skin tones Mm -hmm. and the the painful what white supremacy created in that regard as far as the the judgments Mm -hmm. and the just the the nasty behavior that well it all comes from people i mean they said that people you know it was a social class thing if if you were out working outside then you're going to be darker and that that goes like to anywhere that that was even in asia too like you know like people of higher higher classes would you know stay inside and if they would go outside they would have the umbrella so they don't get suntanned because it's like the paler you are the closer like you know the whiter you are the you know the 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 better you are supposedly and that's like across cultures with colors and like in india it's the same thing like you know what i'm saying so it's like people who work outside who are darker are deemed you know lesser than and so that 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 goes that's just colonization period so that, that affected worldwide but um, how, how it affects me is just how many people want to relate to me versus um, because of just how I look. They, they're like, oh, you look like me, like, but I don't really know what you are. What are you? And I, I just think that that's interesting that I get that so much. People here in the United States like to put me in a box. They have to figure out what I am. They have to figure it out, you know? I like what you said as far as that, you know, like we have this put people in a box it's just completely unnecessary Mm -hmm. and you know how what is what are your thoughts on how to just break out of that that habit that pattern of putting each other in boxes that we don't belong in or need to be in or it what purpose is it serving right i think people when they're familiar with in order to identify something and understand it they base it off of some things that they already know and therefore if they're unable to put something into like a box and label it then they can't they can't fathom like thinking about it hard enough to understand it because it's like people are kind of lazy nowadays and it's easier (laughs) to just put things put labels on things but like put that in that box um why i've not been like that is i will say the difference of growing up over United Kingdom is it re people kind of identified less with their ethnicity as such and more so with like their 
social scene, so music. So I was like an indie rock girl. I would go out, like growing up, I would go to gigs like before I was 18, because the legal age was 18 there. So before I was going to clubs, I was going to shows every weekend to go see bands play. It's a big music culture in Scotland. So it was like, okay, are you an emo? Are you a goth? Are you into rave music? Are you into whatever you know are you into indie rock are you into rock are you into like that that kind of that dictated how you dressed too like so that had a big thing about your identity with how you dressed um so that was more how I identified with myself was like my my hobbies my interests my tastes my passions and so I do feel like I, I was fortunate to be able to grow up over there because I do think it's a little bit less labely or you're you in the sense that you aren't you aren't const like constricted to be in a box you aren't constricted to be like even re religion isn't as 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 strict there in a sense as like people are a little bit more open and progressive on things so they don't feel the need to have harsh judgment with everything they do or like immediately feel shame with things that they do and relate it back to religion that that's not there as yes. much so I feel like when you don't have that playing in the back of your mind you can really just be who you want to be and not have a fear, like not have fear. Basically, there's not as much religion, religious-based fear. Now, there's a lot of Muslims and you know everything there. I mean, there's different religions over there, but as like in general, as a whole, for the like majority of the population that I was around and my friends, uh, it's like religion doesn't really play as much as a part into like what you choose to do and how you live your life. Not, I'm not talking morally. Morally, yes, but not with like things that you enjoy and how you express yourself and. Who you want to love, who you want to be with, all of those things, you know, weren't really is. It's not as you don't feel that weight, that pressure as much as you do here. Here, it's different. I hear that loud yeah. and clear, <laughs> and that's very powerful. What you're sharing and saying, there's just so much uh, evidence of that yeah. around here. You know, where people are definitely confined mm -hmm. and and not free to be themselves. Yeah, and so. What would you say to people in that regard, you know, that perhaps are uh, allowing fear-based teaching to interfere with what they want to do, you know? Well, I, I cut my father when I was growing up as like super, super staunch uh, Southern Baptist. Um, and my mother was, has always been extremely spiritual. So they were just totally night and day. Like, my mom would never make me go to church, but my dad would always want to force me to go to church. And I would just want to go to be social because I was an only child. So really, I was just... A lot of things that I always felt like I was hearing, I had already in my mind made sense to do. I'm like, of course, you know, live, you know, be a good person and do right by others and treat others how you want to be treated. And, you know, for me, it just all made it was like common sense. So I was like, I don't need to be told this. I could read this and interpret it myself. So I was always an independent thinker. Um, in a sense, but I danced, like I said, from a young age and being an only child, I didn't really have a lot of people to talk to besides adults. So I was able to express myself a lot through singing, dancing, and acting. I was able to find myself through singing, dancing, and acting, um, find my voice, find what I love to do, what I liked, what I didn't like, what kind of person I was, what kind of actor I was, what kind of singer I was, like, you know what I'm saying? You really kind of find yourself a little bit through your natural skills and abilities and they feel good because they're yours and they're natural to you and you hone them and you get better at them and I don't know, I just was fortunate to, to discover myself and to find myself through what I loved to do. So religion never really came into it. So it's hard when I, when I speak to people who don't have an outlet. It's more about outlets, really, um, having different outlets, because I do think that religion for a lot of people is a great outlet, um, but it, everyone needs more than one. You know, I'm a person who likes to have my hand in many, like, pots. It's, uh -huh. it's like, I, had a, I was talking to my mom the other day, and I was telling her about how 
um, when I was younger and why, like when I was, I was like, you know, in the dating pool, I was like, how would I ever know what I liked and didn't like if I didn't like try around and you know what I mean? Kind of yes. figure it out. And I just feel like that's kind of how everyone should live their life a little bit. Um, you, you, you'll never know what you like, what you like, what, you know, about yourself fully unless you kind of, I don't know, just break out of the confines a little bit and don't find different outlets, challenge yourself with different outlets, do things that like that thing that you thought was really, really hard. Is it really that hard? Or are you just afraid to do it and afraid to fail? Just, just go for it either way. It's kind of, it's what I would kind of advise. But uh, it's, 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 a, it's a tough one. I mean, it's really, it's, it comes down to you wanting to do it. That's all I would have to say. You really just have to want to do it and want to find, find the outlets. It's like, it's very cathartic when you find something that you can release or express yourself. That's yes. not your usual way it's right. very it's very liberating I guess I would say it's exciting because mm-hmm. you're learning parts about yourself that you never knew existed and that's that's a fun relationship to have and you find like you know yeah do things like that um and yeah I think that I just think that people should be more open to things that are a little bit more less less conventional I guess to them yes Cause that's that's a spectrum what's conventional to you might not be conventional to me but you know for the person subjectively whatever is unconventional to you I say try it see how it makes you feel very good yeah the and i think that's the other thing i've learned about you as i've sat and talked with you is that you are very energetically and intuitively inclined uh you you have an awareness of that whereas that's not people are not commonly aware of that inside themselves Mm -hmm. how did you become aware of that inside yourself being an only child and having no one else to talk to but myself. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, you become very insightful uh, when you have no, when you literally are just. And I'm very. Um, I mean, I'm very. I live in my head a little bit. I'm very creative, but I'm very, um, very much cerebral. Uh-huh. You know, I definitely live up here. I play. Everything happens up here. So. Um, I, I mean, honestly, just I'm a I self-analyze to like the bone, and it's good and it's bad. Well, yes, that can be. So, I was gonna say well, that can be a nightmare. I drive myself crazy, so sure. it's like it's a blessing and a curse. I, I don't know if I would even wish it upon. Everyone's like, you're so you're, you're so emotionally self-aware. I'm like, yeah, but this is like, like I, I see the I see the flip side to everything. I rationalize like it's and it's hard because like with myself, it's like I can be objective with myself, and sometimes that's hard. I don't know how I got that way, but like I think it's just because being an only child, like I said, you only, well, me personally, I just talk to myself a lot in my head. Not talk to myself, but, you know, went over things, analyzed, processed things alone. Sure. You know, so you get used to it. Sure. Yeah. So I sharpened that skill, shall I say. Yes. <laughs> now, um, what other things jump out at you as something that you would want to share to educate our listeners or encourage our listeners uh, in regards to our conversation so far? Um, I think that one one of the biggest things that I feel like that I've kind of come to learn about myself throughout my 20s was just the really, um, my self-identity. Being biracial is really, it's a little bit like, it's just like managed schizophrenia. You like, you know, at all times you have Sometimes two totally conflicting, uh, you know, your genetic makeup is <laughs> it's like 50-50 and it's sometimes they clash with each other and sometimes you feel a little bit crazy and sometimes and society always makes you choose. Well, they try to. So that's yeah. tough um, because, you know, especially here, they definitely want you to choose. But then sometimes you, you choose. Like for me, I identify, I mean, I identify myself as black, but I'm also fully aware and I'm very proud of being Scottish. And, you know, like I said, I'm still half white. 
Um, but I still have to make the distinction because I'm not white American. I am Scottish. And there's a difference. And I right. like to make sure that everyone knows the difference. But it's interesting because, you know, I fight really, really hard against color colorism. I always speak out against it. And it's funny because sometimes I will get, you know, people that are dark dark complexion say to me they're like well why are you even like you know you don't, we don't need you to speak for us and so sometimes that's tough because I, sometimes I'm not necessarily accepted by people in the black community because they say well you know you're you're biracial you're not black you can't claim being black right but you know through the one drop rule uh going back to slavery days you know I definitely was not going to be considered white when it goes back to it and what was interesting as well as actually growing up was a little bit hard because my black family here sometimes would make little jokes about you know because they were I mean I am biracial so of course I was by far the lightest person um and uh you know they would make you know kind of comments about you know like oh well you would have been a house slave or you would have been and I didn't understand what that meant because I didn't I'd only gone to school here from six to ten you know mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I didn't really understand those microaggressions that I was receiving from them yeah um I would have you know family members say you know what's your favorite band I'd be 15 what's your favorite band I love the Beatles like I said I was into indie rock music and right I love the Beatles my uncle my uncle would say well, what are you white well yes you know my mother you've lived you know my mom for years of right. course what kind of question is that so kind of I didn't really know how to handle those questions and I internalized a lot of that when I was growing up because I didn't know from adults, you know, uh-huh. they were internalized, they were projecting onto me Yes. Um, things that, you know, colorism that has, you know, been ingrained in uh, black history for a hot minute. So they were projecting onto me and through that I was internalizing that and not understanding. And for a while I didn't, I didn't embrace my black side at all. You know, I really went the other way. Like I was very much, I would say I was super whitewashed actually. Not whitewashed in the sense of, like I was anti-black, but I just didn't. I just didn't want. I didn't. I didn't feel accepted by. So I didn't want to be associated with. Right. Because it hurt. You know. Yes. It was more of like just because yes. it hurt. More that like I would be reminded. And then once I moved to uh, London and I went to theater school down there, and that was like all of my friends in college were of color. Like and I made sure that we were all like a super close group of friends, and that because there wasn't even a lot of people of color that were. Uh, that had been accepted into the school. That was another thing, like, when I went to college, that I was, I've always been like this. I've always been fighting against <laughs> racism, uh, like, unknowingly. So, like, when I would go there, there's only, like, four black people that were admitted into my year. And I think in the whole entire college, there's maybe, like, ten of us. Right. And I made damn sure that we were all very, very close. Yes. And we were, of course, you know, you know really talented and a lot of, like, triple threats. We could sing, we could dance, we could act. And I was like, we're not going to be, we're going to really dominate, you know, and be proud of, us being black and I, I'm not going to be, you know, kind of told to straighten our hair. I'm not going to, you know, not tan. So we don't get as like, we're not going to do all that. So, and it's funny after I graduated, the, the amount of like black kids that were accepted and kids of color that were accepted into that school after it was like, it was substantially larger, like from like, you know, years after me, it was great to see that. So before me, it was like, there's only like three or four of us. Wow. Like three, like three in the year below me, two in the, you know, like it was really not a lot of us. It was like eight total. Right. So, um, yeah, that was always that was always a thing. And then when I moved here and I moved to New York, I really got to experience my my like black culture. I learned a lot. Uh, I had ex boyfriends. Like it was my first time dating black black people actually because uh, in the United Kingdom, um, well in Scotland there wasn't really any around me. But in 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 New York, of course, you know there was a multitude of different kinds of ethnicities and races, and that was really fun for me. So I really got to explore and. Uh, kind of uh, embrace my my heritage more because I wasn't I was so far removed from it. Okay. Um, and I really got to find myself, find my voice, 
I started, you know, I embraced wearing my hair natural for the first time ever. Like, you know, I've been natural for like eight years now. But, you know, like when I first came, like I'd never worn my hair curly before. I'd always had it straightened. Just little things like that. You know what I'm saying? It was kind of, you know, watching Spike Lee movies for the first time and just like watching things that like, I don't know, people expected me to have seen or like have expected me to have listened to music wise. I never listened to rap music till I was 23 years old. Right. People think that that's crazy, you know? <laughs> so just little things like that. So I really was able to come into my own and define define what you know define my identity uh in my own way and not feel like I had to choose because now honestly I mean I identify myself as I'm biracial I, st- I still I'm a black woman but I'm also you know I am a white woman too so I still feel like I can use that to talk to both both ends a little bit you know what I mean and kind yes. of use that quote-unquote privilege uh-huh. um to to kind of spread awareness and you know sometimes if people maybe you know, hearing it coming from me, if it's a little bit less daunting or like maybe makes you feel a little bit less stressed out than maybe hearing it from someone else, then so be it. I'll, I'm happy to deliver that message. If it's not me, hopefully someone else. But yeah. as long as people are doing it, then I think the conversations need to be had regardless of, you know, how or, how or where, as long as they're being had. Absolutely. I'm so thankful that you have found your voice and that you're willing to use your voice. Um, you know, one of the things I'm thinking about when you were talking about the projections yes. that came upon you, that to me just speaks of such a deep pain inside of people. Mm-hmm. What do you think about me making that statement? Do you? I mean, I think it's I think it's it's honest and it's accurate and it's exactly what it is. Is it's pain? Yeah. And I think that it's I think it's good for you to say it because it is what it is. And I think if you were to call it anything else, then it would be more of admission of your own guilt. Right. So I feel like when you're honest about what it is, it, like I would describe it exactly as you described it. And just because you're white and I'm mixed race doesn't mean that we would describe it any differently. So. How you described it is exactly accurate. And I don't feel like you should sugarcoat it. Right. Put it that way. And in that regard, I guess I just, you know, part of what I'm hoping for is that we can be liberated enough as people, as individuals, to uh, be confident enough just to allow, I don't even like to use the word allow, right. but to have open conversations and not judge the words that come out of people's mouths mm-hmm. and let it, I don't even like to use the word let, you know, yeah. I don't like this, you know, but that seems to be where, where we are and what we're breaking out of, you know, it's like, can we talk? Can we be real? Right. Can we be honest? And can we do this respectfully and give people dignity? And can we learn from each other mm-hmm. and not judge each other? When you say we, who do you, what do you mean? We as a people, all of us, yeah. white people, you know, can we put our defenses down? Yes. Can we stop? Can we listen? Can we stop saying things like, well, that was in the past, get over it. Right. I mean, that's not real. Well, because marginal, like, they're just marginalizing it. And mm-hmm. like I said, that's why I said people marginalize things either because they can't understand it, they don't understand it, or it's uncomfortable for them to look at and they don't want to have to admit that they are like a part of something that was kind of ugly. No one wants to admit that. And I think that's generally the country's problem in general. Um, it's like just everyone's really afraid to look at kind of like the truth. But wouldn't like that be at. liberating to look at the truth? I mean, you know, it that depends. Would be. <laughs> you, you, you asked me about how I was so self-aware, and it's because I spent a lot of time self-reflecting. But imagine how scary it would be if you never spent any of your life self-reflecting, and then all of a sudden to have to think about, like, 
what you do and how it affects people and how it ultimately affects you and if is that right or wrong like I don't even know how profound that question might be for someone who's never self-reflected that must be very overwhelming you know know. I have to really appreciate that compassionate insight and honestly sometimes I forget that because I am so comfortable talking about anything that I forget that it's uncomfortable for yeah. some people, mm-hmm. you know, or for many people. For most people. Yeah. I think as a country, it's uncomfortable. I think that was, uh, it's, um, it's, a, it's a culture. It's a culture that is intentional anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one, like, it doesn't, it doesn't behoove a country that, it doesn't, it doesn't behoove anyone who wants to, like, maintain control over people for people to be thinking for themselves. Right. It's like a shepherd doesn't get anything from having a bunch of like sheep that just think and do whatever the hell they want. Right. You know? Right. So, um, you know, they have to have the, you know, their, their sheepdog to, you know, keep a, keep a, keep it in check, keep them in fear, keep them moving. Like, you know what I'm saying? They do that. They do that with media. They do that with, they do that a lot in the media with gaslighting situations, you know, to make them seem worse or play them off each other and then not getting the full. And both sides do it. The left and the right do it. You yes. know, it's not. Yes. It's a country as a whole. Yes. They do that. Um, and it's worked. And I feel like this country a little bit is like us. And it's funny. The reason why I say this country is because comparing it to Scotland, Scotland is tiny, but it's so old and it's been around for so long. And like, you know, the United Kingdom, like Scotland, have been enslaved to England for like so long, like 400, 500 years. And my grandma's just like, oh, English people like hates them, hates the Queen. <laughs> still, it's very, the rivalry is still there. But America's so young in comparison, so it's just, it just really does feel like a social experiment. Um, and yeah, but it's never been, hasn't been encouraged in a very long time for people to think like for themselves, even with the idea of the American dream, like that's being sold to someone like Hollywood. Everything was selling like an idea of like a life instead of like just thinking it up for yourself they're like that's it i'm sold that's that's the idea someone thought up this dream for me and i'm just gonna take it as opposed to thinking it for yourself right and everyone just bought into it and it wasn't even real and it was not even real. <laughs> right it was not real so you know people and like the phenomenon of that is crazy because like movies really did do that to you before i moved to new york i had this whole idea of what it was and i thought it was the you've got mail that's what i thought new york was like that's what i thought my life was going to be like when i lived in new york was meg ryan and you've got mail right that's a really throwback right <laughs> <laughs> um but it's just not real. It's just not the reality of anything, you know. And so, Sex in the City was not reality. Like, I mean, everything is just like you have an idea. I can go to New York and be a writer and live on the Upper West Side and buy Jimmy Choo's and have all these things. And it's like you live on a, like a freelance writer salary. You would never be able to afford that ever, of course ever, not. ever, ever, ever. So it's like people and people go to New York thinking that that's what their life's going to be like, and then it's just like totally. Then they don't last, you know, longer than a year because it's really hard actually to live there. It's extremely hard to live there, and your quality of life is really, really bad until right. you start making up upwards of $500,000 right. a year. So uh, it's just, it's just that whole thing was sold. You know what I mean? Like New York was the, the, the like for me, it was a dream of like, oh, it was to be like movies and that you picture yourself in those roles. It's very clever, but no one's thinking up their own dream. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I was yes. thinking of, like that was a movie. That was a, that's a movie dream. That's not my dream. People don't realize that. Like, what's yours? Yes. A lot of people's dreams and hopes and wishes are all constructed from what they've seen in a movie or TV. So. Or that they're learning from certain groups that yeah. create a certain mold it's that you're supposed to follow or some something. People, yeah. so a lot of parents aren't doing their jobs, so a lot of right. kids get taught or like brought up by television or brought up by films. Right. And so then, like I said, they just live in like a bubble of yeah. land of just non-reality. But like they don't have, they don't realize that their hopes, their dreams, their goals, their wishes are not theirs. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. Yeah. At all. That's a very powerful statement as well. 
So Dominique, you've just provided again a wealth of information and given us a lot, a lot to think about. Um, any final words that you would like to to share with our listeners? Um, I just think on the note of self reflection, I feel like everyone should really look at um, look at themselves a little bit more and ask themselves when someone does something or says something. And whether that be, I mean, especially in the time with everything going on, the election, you just had the elections going on, everything like that. When someone says something to you and it, and it elicits a reaction from you, like, just ask why I'm reacting this way. Like, what is it that's causing me to react this way? Like, that just, like, and try to do that once a day. And I feel like that's practicing some decent self-reflection, or at least starting to try. Okay. I feel like people just need a self. I feel like a lot of problems within, with amongst each other would be solved through communication and talking but how do we expect anyone to do that if people don't do that with themselves so you and i can talk with each other because we are very clearly very well at we're very good at uh you know kind of dissecting and analyzing things you know um in our minds and so then we you know we can eloquently then talk about it so that's that's a privilege that we can do that but most people don't have that so it's like asking them to run before they can walk People, okay. people need to self-reflect a little bit more before they can even share anything that has, you know, a decent perspective that's yes. of value, yes. you know, because otherwise you're not, you know, you're not saying nothing if it's not, if it's not coming from, I don't know, your own self-reflection. I don't know. I, that Does that make sense? Like It's beautiful. I yeah, love it. Yeah, that came out kind of wrong. No, it's basically what I was it, trying to, trying to say. I just feel like people would have a lot more, like, really things to, like, actual things that were important to say that mattered. Um, if they self-reflected a little bit more, you could, it's more insight to a person and to each other. So it would, there would be less emotional reacting yeah. and maybe more being able to respond, reflect, sure. yeah. listen, learn, yeah. educate, yeah. not just listen, learn, but also providing yeah. information to each sure. other. I mean, one of the things that I've said um, as I've been on my own journey is I don't know how we're ever going to talk about race or or LGBT or Mm -hmm. any of this until we learn to talk to each other. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm hearing you say. That's definitely what I'm trying to say. Um, I just think that people don't know how to talk to each other because I don't think that people know how to talk to themselves. I think that's a great place to uh, wrap up and that Mm -hmm. gives people something really deep to think about. So Dominique, (laughs) thank you again so much for being with us today. Absolutely, thank you for having me. Of course.